This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Uh, I'm going to do something that actually is not on the, uh, on the plan, but I just felt like it might be a little fun. Isaac, would you come here for a second? I'm about to introduce you to my friend Isaac. Uh, we met Isaac's dad. You've got to come up here. We really want to see this jacket. I can't take it out. No, 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 no. We met Isaac's dad in a, a village in Uganda, two hours west of Kampala, called Kapeka Village. Am I saying it right? That's true, yeah. Okay. Say it again. Kapeka. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and Isaac's dad told Kelly, who was with us, my son is uh, in the United States. And you know how that means. That could be Portland, Tennessee, Oregon, or whatever. Like, we didn't know. But it turns out it was Knoxville, right? It gets better. And so Kelly followed up and found Isaac. And Isaac is uh, now four years here in the United States, is married. Um, Pretty awesome. Leaving back for Uganda for the first time in a few years to be with your parents. Tell us a little bit. I uh, want to update him on something, but tell us a little bit about what God has got you doing back in Kapeka, the same village. So Kapeka, by the way, the village, it would be like saying we were in Milan, Tennessee. Like it's not a normal town in Uganda like Kampala or Entebbe or Jinja. This was not, a, this is like a random town that his dad just happened to be in. Tell us what you are doing right now as the 15-year plan that God has put on your heart. Thank you so much, Darren. Uh, my name is Isaac and um, married to my beautiful wife, Karis Mene, uh, Karis Moesigua right now. Uh, thank you. I have some. <laughs> I was stressing my voice. So moved here four years ago as a uh, as a teacher, and then I I ended up going to the nursing school. It's so hard for me to pronounce nursing. Some people don't get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nursing. Yeah, that's it. So uh, when I moved here, and then I met my wife. So we started uh, doing some work in Uganda. My dad, I found out later that he was born in Tanzania, which is like South Uganda. And then he moved in Uganda when he was 17. And then uh, <clears throat> after three decades, he had to go back trace his lineage. And we found out that uh, he has lost most of his uh, parents and all that. But we found the great cousins, they were still there. But Uganda is a third world country. Tanzania still middle country kind of. But the situation in Tanzania was a little bit worse than where we were living. So we ended up bringing some children from Tanzania, two of them, then seven of them, give them education, and uh, that's when I moved to the States. So when I moved in the States, I was able to get some work, uh, start working, get some money, and then uh, we set up a structure for them because they needed a home where to stay. So we put a home there, and then they started living at home. Now, he's and going to college, working like side jobs and, and managing to build these homes. Like, this is, understand what he's really saying here. So. Yeah, it was, uh, it was my friend gave me a job because I, I couldn't work when I moved here and I couldn't make it in school. It was so hard for me to get a job because my visa was, status was terminated, lost my passport in the middle of the school. I couldn't go back and I couldn't stay, so I was in between. 
But I joined the church. Uh, it's called First Baptist in Sevierville. Got some friends. Tried to give me some work to do at home and helping them at their farm and all that. So I kind of raised some little bit of money. And I sent it to Uganda and we built that house for them. And now, when I lived for like three years now, ended up into the nursing school, still with my friends helping me to get in that. And then I can't get a big vision onto that because these kids have so many in Tanzania and still in Uganda. So putting them in one spot was not enough. We had to come up with a structure, maybe a school that can help them to have more education, raised in church, and then have some medical facility because they didn't have uh, medical. And then since I was in a medical school and I've been a teacher in Uganda for three years, I thought that is really cool. So I can combine these two things together. And we started, uh, I bought a land, I got some money. In the money I worked, I got some money and then I secured some property. So I told my dad, in the future, I want to put a structure of a school right here. I don't know when, but if I get settled down, it's what I'm going to do. So right now, as we are talking, uh, Kelly texted me, somebody from Facebook. Let me tell you one thing I know. I don't have strangers. I just have friends that I've never met. That's me. So <laughs> if someone said, oh, it's a random friend," I was like, no, it's just a friend, but I've never met those people yet. So Kelly texts me a picture of my dad on Facebook and asked me, do you know this guy? I was like, of course, this is my dad. So he, she told me they've been to Uganda. We got to know each other. And then I found out that they were in Kapeka, which you call Kapeka. Uh, Kapika. Yeah, like that. Kapika. So <laughs> they Santa did this Fe. mission work. You guys that have been there, they did it close to our home, and my dad was part of the people that were helping into that ministry. And thankfully, in those kids that we brought from Tanzania, two of them were given a scholarship in yeah. the school. So he shows me a picture yesterday, Amber, that made me like jump out of my chair because two of these kids from Tanzania have the uniforms of John Bosco School that we are building. They're like part of the sponsorship that you're doing, our kids that he brought from Tanzania to Uganda. Amber Heslip runs our school sponsorship program. So for these that are sponsoring teachers, that's what's happening. And so those two kids came from Tanzania all the way to Kapeka, Uganda, and are now in that school. That, by the way, we are almost done constructing. I'll be there in July. I've, I've seen some pictures. We've got a brick building going up for a school uh, and a church simultaneously. We've already drilled the well. All that stuff is already there. Uh, and yeah, so two of those kids are actually in your school. Right? Yeah, that's true. We were like, whoa, this is a great big small world of God's big kingdom. And actually one of them was also, uh, I didn't show you the picture, but one of them was taken to Kampala. I think there's also a school you guys do. To Good Samaritan. Yes. So he, she was picked up and then she was given a scholarship in Kampala. So two are here in Kapeka and then... Scholarships that you paid for, by the way. When that happens, we pay for those scholarships. And FYI. guys, thank you so much for the work you're doing. You don't know what it means. Uh, it's not easy to make life in our countries. Some people think, oh, they are just, they don't want to work, they don't, you don't have nothing to do. You want to work and you want to work hard, but there's nothing. The person, you can't go to somebody and be like, hey, Darren, do you have some work here that I can do? They're also struggling. They're also looking for something to help. So if you do something, these kids and give, my goal is to put these kids in my shoes and then helping them in the way I've been helped and see what they will do with their life. So I can't just leave them 
and just assume their life will be better if I've not made it happen. So your contribution, your giving, your support is making a tremendous change in the impact of these kids. So we want to change uh, the coming generation because they say if you help one generation, that generation is going to help another generation. By the yeah. time we come together, we have a good supported generation, right? Yeah. So. And you don't know this, but that guy right there, the good-looking one in the third row, Benny Prophet. Um, <laughs> first priority, they disciple youth, that teach youth to disciple youth, and they've got a big presence in Uganda right now as well, uh, creating a, a youth discipling youth moment. So in this world right here, just in this literally within like five, ten feet of each other are like three different things happening in Uganda building the future of that nation full of just Holy Ghost-filled Christians that are going to take that country back from Joseph Kony, back from the Islamic radicals that are coming in. Like, that's what, that's what we need is the gospel. So I just wanted you to meet Isaac because I wanted you to show how God... We were at Soul Shine Pizza yesterday, and he pulls out a picture of them. I'm like, I know that uniform. Like, those are made by the seamstresses that, made, uh, that learned to make them at the trade school that Matala has in uh, Cheetah Red Day, I think is where it's at all in this one little area. So I, I want to pray for you. And then I ask Isaac, because he's going to be in Uganda. We're going to miss him by like a week. Yeah. Like he's leaving back July 3rd or 4th, and we're getting there like July 9th or 10th, something like that. So I'm just going to miss him in Kapeka. But I do want to get and see the land where you're at, and we're going to hang out with your daddy yeah. while we're there and I, see what God is doing. I think, yeah, we, just to talk about a little bit where we are going. We are going back in June 18th. My wife and I, we have a team of people, six people, it was just going to be showing my parents, my wife, but then I can't, like, I can't go empty-handed with these people. They'll be like, why did you even come back? So <laughs> you better stay over there. He's not wrong. <laughs> I'm not on my own. So we tried to come up with something. Like uh, we collected clothes from people. Very sweet people gave us clothes. I started collecting like smartphones. I got smartphones. So we uh, raised money with my friends, and we had like a tiny something like seven people. But then I said, well, you know what? Let's give it a wide space. Let's try to raise at least 10 grants and feed like 200 people, and then meet this charge, and then meet these needs so that people can feel like, OK, you went in the States four years ago, and then you came back with something. Like just Joseph went somewhere, or Jacob, yeah. and came back with something. So right how, now, this is the mission we're going to be doing. How far are you from that? You need 10 grand. How far away are you from that I think number? right now we have raised like 2,000, right? Oh, you're within striking yeah. distance. Yeah, we have raised like 2,000. But uh, we have another month uh, to come up with that man. If we don't, still what we have will do something. In Africa, everything counts. Every little bit counts. Yeah, yeah. And what he's been doing is what we've been doing, which is... These lockdown policies that sound so good in Europe are killing people in Africa. You shut down public transportation, you shut down jobs, you shut down, there is no refrigerator to store food, there is no inside to stay in. If you're looking for white privilege, look no further than medical experts who are telling countries like Africa to shut down because it's killing people and I am tired of it. Uh, we have an opportunity to make a change though. Um, if you feel led this morning, this is just totally off the cuff. You want to help him out, throw Uganda. Anything that comes in for Uganda on the conduitchurch.com, uh, you just pull down. I think Uganda is one of the options. We'll make sure 100% of that goes to him. And then whatever else we don't get up to the 10 grand, we'll find a way to make that happen for you. Thank you Go. so much. So let's pray.
I'll oh. go down if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, <laughs> Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for bringing Isaac halfway around the world. I went halfway around the world to find him, and I find him at Soulshine. How funny is that? Uh, Lord, you, your sovereignty plucked Isaac out of, of this village in Capeca. You have brought him to Johnson City. You brought him to Knoxville, Sevierville, like the, the most redneck parts of our entire nation. You bring an African. I love it, Lord. This is so Jesus of you. So we pray, Lord, that uh, even as he is changing hearts and minds in East Tennessee, that we can now change hearts and minds in Uganda. Lord, we know that there are amazing opportunities that we can help with there. So we pray that, uh, Lord, if you're speaking on anybody in this room right now or wherever, well, we'll figure it out. We'll make sure that this happens. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give Isaac a hand, man. <laughs> Pleasure, man. Proud of you. Isaac, you're the kind of guys that, um, that this world needs. The, the, what we're talking about right now, becoming a Joseph in a Judah generation. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and to listen. And I would encourage you, if you would right now, to go to the book of Genesis chapter 37. Um, because I want you to uh, be able to follow along with this if you can. And, and while you're looking for that, I, uh, I was reminded of a story this week that actually really <laughs> reminded me of what we were talking about here, which was that when my daughter Ashley, who was 20 almost 21 right now, was eight years old. Uh, she had raised a butterfly out from a, from a, what are they called, the caterpillars, chrysalis? chrysalis? Do they not call them cocoons? Is that not a thing? That's a moth? Well, who knew? Apparently everybody but me. Apparently everybody but me knew that. So she, I have just been homeschooled. I'll drink to that. So we get this butterfly. She has worked hard, and she's got this sweet little tender heart, and now the butterfly is ready to go back to nature. So we're in the front yard, and she's got the butterfly in her hand, and it's, it's, it won't take off because I think it's sad. It wants to say goodbye. You know, That's at least what we were telling her. And, and then it takes off from her hands, and it begins to fly into the air. And so all six Tylers are standing and, and looking up like Jesus, you know, ascending into the sky. We're looking up at the thing, and, and a bird. <laughs> Did y'all know this could happen? Like, this was, again, brand new information for us. A bird, not like a raptor, you know, or an owl. This was like an egret or a, a swallow. It was, it, it just dive-bombed and took this butterfly mid-air, mind you, and flew away with its dying body and wings, you know, <laughs> while we stand there going, <laughs> yeah. well, what do you say, right, dads? Because <laughs> I'm waiting for her to begin sobbing. But she did not. She broke the silence and shrugged her shoulders and said, well, that's the circle of life. 100% true story. And in the depth of her wisdom, she really did know about the circle of life. Not just because of Mufasa, 
but because of Genesis 3, at the end of the chapter, from the dust you were created and to the dust you will return, human life does not go linear, it goes in a circle. Last week we talked about that history goes in circles, the 80-year cycle, the Strauss-Howe generational theory, go back and listen to it. The hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. It's a cycle that has repeated out since the ancient Greek, since Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his children. That is what this story is, is the story of good times that are creating weak men, and these sons of Jacob are creating hard times. And from that, verse 12 of chapter 37, his brothers had gone to graze their flocks, Joseph's brother, near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing flocks near Shechem. Come, and I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. Remember, Joseph got the jacket last week, the big coat. It was not Donny Osmond's career renaissance. It was because he was being put in charge. This was not just a new coat from the gap. This was a straight up, you have gotten a promotion. You're now in charge. So he said to him, verse 14, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan, not Alabama. Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. They were traveling down. The topography of where they are headed was going from up to down. You remember when we were in Israel, everything, Jerusalem, everything is up to Jerusalem and everything's down from there. Here comes that dreamer, verse 19. Where am I at? On the, have I lost the other passage? Huh, looks like the other one's gone, so you're going to have to have your own Bibles with you. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. Say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Joseph heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. And this verse is the important one. It was a cistern that was empty. There is no water in it. Don't forget that. Jesus, we give this day to you. I pray, Lord, today that you will be with us and that, Lord, you will give us insight into your word today. I pray, Lord, that Lord, that your words would be a light to our path, that you, you promised that it would be. And that's what we hope for today. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If strong men come from hard times, 
Is it possible that in a Jesus generation that even good times can create strong people? The answer is yes. In fact, I would say that for us it's even more dangerous in good times because we can succumb to the same things that anyone else can. But with Jesus in the middle of us, good times or bad times can create strong believers. Now when you read a passage like this, and you, this is a little Bible study tip, when you see a, a phrase like I just brought out to you, empty cisterns, you think, okay, where else have I seen that in Scripture before? And if you're new to the Bible, maybe you've not seen it, but if you've been around the Bible a while, it might have reminded you of Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. He's, he's, Jeremiah is speaking to the people of Israel, and he's telling them, you have committed two sins. The people of Israel, these are descendants centuries away from uh, Israel, from Jacob, and they're committing two sins. And I would like to suggest to you, these are not brand new sins, this is the same sins that the brothers of Joseph were committing at this very time. My people have committed two sins, Jeremiah 2.13. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. These guys were trusting broken cisterns to solve their problems. And I would like to suggest, not only did that start with the children of, Je of Israel then and in Jeremiah, but it's still our challenge even today. The challenge of not forsaking the fountain of living water, which is Jesus, and trusting in broken cisterns. And that's what I want to break down for you. I want to show you how they were forsaking these, the, the living water of God. They were forsaking the promises of God. And obviously, as I just showed, then they went and they were putting their trust in a broken cistern. And then I want to point out to you that what we're going to ask every week in this message, which is what's true about God, based on what we just read, what's true about God? First thing on this is quite simple, which is they took a journey away from the promises of God and forsaking God is always a journey down. It is never a journey up. You are not bettering your life traveling away from God. You are making it worse. His brothers, it says in verse 12, had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. Does Shechem ring a bell to anyone? Chapter 33 and 34, the children of Israel, the, the brothers, were in a, uh, an area where a guy named Shechem, the guy that was named after this, right, is there. He has he is acted inappropriately with their sister Dinah. He has raped her. And so these brothers were going to exact justice, and they committed a massacre, killing every man in this city. At the end of chapter 34, Jacob's like, what are you doing? You're bringing disgrace on our house. Why are you doing this? And what they were doing now by going back to Shechem, in my guess, this is a seems to be, they're just going back to the scene of the crime. They're going back to the ways that had already brought hurt and disgust and disgrace on their family. They're not going away from it. They're going right back into it again. A journey down back to the same sins that they had visited in the past. And isn't it a lot easier to kill your brother once you've massacred an entire town? The journey always goes down, never back up. There's a saying that, 
Sin will make you go further than you want to go, pay more than you want to pay, stay longer than you want to stay. I might be getting that wrong. Does anybody remember who said that? It was Ravi Zacharias. You think he might have known what sin was going to do to his life? It's never a journey up. It's always a journey down. Chapter 38, the next chapter, the story where Judah picks up is Judah going down to another, away from the promises of God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promises of this land. And Judah goes away, and Judah marries someone he shouldn't have married. His two sons die. He ends up having sex with who he thinks is a temple prostitute. It turns out to be his daughter-in-law, and Jerry Springer is nowhere to be found. It's Romans 1. It never goes up. It always goes down. And don't you wonder, these 11 brothers, who by this time are mostly adults, they're almost 20 years older than he is, the the oldest one. They're going back to Shechem. It's not dangerous for them because everybody in Shechem is 100% afraid of them. They know their brother's coming to look for them. They know their brother's going to come check on them. But they don't stay in Shechem. They go to Dothan. You think that the plot to kill Joseph started at the pit? I would like to suggest the plot to kill Joseph was underway. A 17-year-old kid wandering around in a city where their brothers had massacred, he was in grave danger already by himself. So, as he is heading towards this, they're going to plot to kill him. Now, the empty cistern that we're about to talk about here, I want to bring up this because it's important to say this. The sin in our lives, the sins that I've committed, the sins that you have, they're not victimless crimes, you understand, right? That somebody pays for yours and for mine. When I was younger, I was in a youth group. I was like the youth group kid that was like the preacher. I was going to be the missionary, you know, all that stuff. And, and I went to Bible college with one goal in mind, and that was to backslide in rare order. Like I was going to next level that thing. And I did. And I made really dumb decisions. And I hurt people. Because the cistern that I was looking for to try to fill the stuff in my heart the cistern I was digging, the cistern that these guys were putting Joseph in, my cistern, does your Bible say pit? Some of your Bibles are going to say pit and some of your Bibles are going to say cistern. You know why those are used interchangeably? Because my cistern is your pit. Jacob's cistern, the son's cisterns, was a cistern to them, an empty cistern to them that was not going to bring them fulfillment, but to Joseph it was a pit. The, the, the abuse that you might have experienced in your life, the trauma that you might have experienced in your life might have been someone else's cistern, but it is your pit. Am I making, does this make sense? You, your pit, their cistern. And I say that because you didn't do anything to deserve it. You're just in it. You're a victim, but you do not have to stay a victim. At some point, As God is healing you, as he will, we'll see with Joseph, you can move from victim and put on the mantle of victor that Jesus Christ has for you. Take the time you need to heal. Take the time you need to restore. But eventually, you're getting out of that pit, and you're going to walk on like Joseph as a victor. You don't need to stay in it forever. 
I bring it up specifically because Jeremiah 2, verses 17 says that your sin, he's speaking. So we just read 2.13, the, the empty cistern, forsaking water. He says to Israel at that point that your sin, your, in verse 17, it was, I think, your King James Version, your backsliding, your own backsliding is what hunted you down. Those of us who are in Christ, when we're in sin, it's not that he's angry at us. His anger was taken out on Christ on the cross. It is finished, paid for, tetelestai. The punishment of your sin, the power over your sin, but not the consequences of your sin. Young men, you go out on your wives, that consequence is all yours, and that bomb has gone off, and there are going to be consequences. Don't do it. There are consequences. Jesus loves you. He's going to embrace you through the whole thing, but you will destroy a whole lot of lives looking for a cistern that is someone else's pit. Now, what is a cistern? You know, in the King James, you get your brethren and you get your cistern. (laughs) Benny, that joke still got legs, man, 30 years later. (laughs) Even old King James folks think that's funny. The broken cisterns that don't hold water, they walked away. The journey for them was a journey of heartache. It was a journey of pain. It caused everybody trouble. It caused everybody hurt, everybody pain, because they were making decisions because we're in the Genesis 3 world. But their greatest sin was not what they did to Joseph. The greatest sin was that they forsook the river of living water, and then they went and trusted in verse 37, verse Chapter 37, verse 34, they took him and threw him into the cistern, and the cistern was empty and had no water in it. We got these problems. Joseph's going to take over our lives. We're trying to fix this whole thing. If I throw him in this empty cistern, this is going to solve all of our problems. Reuben's like, just throw him in there. We'll figure it out later. You understand that a cistern in a desert is dangerous. A cistern in a, de- in a desert is death because there's no water in it. A cistern isn't just something that you put on the roof. It's not even like our, I don't know if you all had a chance to enjoy the size of the Olympic size septic system that we have in Saul back here. But if you all want to swim laps, you better hurry because before long that's going to be in use and you're going to want to be anywhere near it. But, but it was giant concrete poured tank. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is in Haiti, I mean, Jeremy, I don't know if you remember, in the mountains, like up in the mountain church, in the caves up there, they're digging out of the like, rock wall with pickaxes. If you're looking to win a CrossFit competition, I got some guys that we could recruit and you would dominate. They've got 0% body fat, they are wiry, and they just pickaxe all day long, chopping out rock from the side of a mountain. In the desert, that's what a, a broken cistern is, is they have, spent, they have days, weeks, months, sometimes years, hammering, chiseling, digging out a cistern. And how disappointed are you when you figure out it leaked? You don't get to start over. There's no mortar. It's over. This cistern was empty because it was broken. And the trouble with trusting broken cisterns is they will kill you. The modern versions of that are plenty. 
the modern versions of a broken cistern. And I would put a definition of it somewhere between a Tim Keller and a Scott Saul's definition is that it's something or someone that I'm putting my hope in, making it my ultimate. Even it can be a good thing that I have made my ultimate thing because it can't bear the weight of the thirst of my soul. One of the things that's the most common, especially with young people, is position. I guess we call it clout these days. Savannah, is that right? Am I getting that right? Is it called clout? All right. Savannah's my cool kid. Check in right now. Remember when you used to be Aj? No. <laughs> For the old days. Position. Position is like this. If I just get enough likes, if I just get enough, I got to keep the, 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 the TikTok, the, I got to get enough content, I got to get people to like me. And, and whatever it is you got to do to get into the group is what you got to do to stay in the group, and it's exhausting. Day after week after month after year, and you're still thirsty because it didn't hold water. Not a bad thing to be on social media. People redeeming social media all the time. Cat Carnally, man, when you're, you're preaching the gospel, teaching Bible studies on social media, you're redeeming social media. All of us have those opportunities. But if it becomes our ultimate, it's going to leave us thirsty. A, a thing that I have seen over the last couple of years, and some of you, this might be brand new information to you, but I promise you, this is going on all around us in Williamson County right now with married people, maybe some of you even in this room, and so I'm not casting any aspersions or judgment. I just want to point out to you that what I'm about to share with you is an empty cistern that cannot hold water. This article that just came out in the, uh, the Telegraph this week, I didn't even put the headline in it because it made me blush when I read it, so I can't but it speaks of a sex cult. They called it a cult. I think that might be a stretch. It's somewhere, I guess, between, I don't know, Amway and some weirdo something. I was just, but it was based on female sexuality. The lady that founded it was through a TED Talk. She's taken very seriously all over the West Coast. Gwyneth Paltrow, Silicon Valley billionaires are all investing in this. And I'm reading it going, I, this is happening an hour? And I'm realizing as I've read some Instagram posts from people that I know that I'm like, oh, that's the same language. They're using the same language. This is where this came from. But here's what I wanted you to read from this article because this is what, what they said. Uh, the, the quote of, of the, the main customer for this is this, that young and not so young women Main customer or females. Their bank balance is bowing under the weight of Pilates classes, acid facials, and uh, juicing whatever fruit from the Amazon happened to be fashionable this week. I found that funny. Uh, <laughs> came seeking the answer to what Deodun had spelled out in her TED Talk. And this is it. The Western woman's mantra, I work too hard, I eat too much, I diet too much, I drink too much, I shop too much, I give too much, and there's still the sense of hunger that I can't touch. And this woman right now is being investigated by federal authorities because of the financial doings, and it turns out that she's a crook, and it turns out that this whole thing has been a financial sham. She is buckling under the weight of a cistern that couldn't hold the thirst that she had. And not to be outdone, the thing that 
I saw this last year that many of us saw was that sexual identity, sexual behavior is a cistern, that if we make that our primary, that it can't hold water. But when you look at what happened this last year, the idea of what, what we saw from secular humanists and science was this idea that they could solve our problems. This piece that just came out in The Guardian got by a guy named John Harris and I wanted to read this, uh, it's a paragraph, but I really want you to hear what he said about a guy. This is an atheist who does not believe in God, and he has put all of his trust in the scientific community and in scientists. And he said, like millions of other faithless people, I have not even the flimsiest of narratives to project onto what has happened, nor any real vocabulary with which to talk about the profundities of life and death. Beyond a handful of close friends and colleagues, my immediate family, there has been no community of like minds with whom I have talked about how I am feeling or ritualistically marked the passing of all these grinding weeks and months. Even now, with restrictions soon to be lifted, the chance of any shared reflection on the last year's events still seems slim. Secularized societies do not really work like that, and Britain is a perfect example as proved by a prospect that somehow feels both exciting and absurd, a return to shops, pub gardens, and, quote, normality, and people being encouraged to make Mary listen as if nothing had happened. Secular humanism does not... The science can do everything. It can talk about the virus. It can talk about the actual mechanics of things, but it cannot talk about the human soul. This writer ends this piece with this. He says, I don't have the quote up there. For many of us, life without God has turned out to be life without fellowship and shared meaning. And in the midst of the most disorienting, debilitating crisis most of us have ever known, that social tragedy now cries out for action. And unfortunately, the action that he would cry out for doesn't exist because he needs to cry out for Jesus. Jesus would say that that cistern is going to be empty. The, the last John 2, he's, Jesus speaks to us, a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman, and he says to her, if you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. Right? This is a woman who's been married five times. She's, she's not a loose woman. She's just trying to find love. She's just trying to find the hole, the cistern to be filled in that. And it was never going to be filled. And he said, if you'll just drink from this water, speaking of him, you'll never thirst again. And in John 7, 37, Jesus would go on to say, uh, the, the last and the greatest day of the feast, right? This feast that on six days, we walked this road last year on the pool, a pool of Siloam, all the way up to the, uh, the, the eastern gate, western gate, and it's not even open to the public yet. It's actually been completely uncovered. You can walk on this road. Hopefully when we go back in February, it'll be open. We got to walk on it before. It was so cool. Jesus would walk with a bucket of water. The priest, I'm sorry, would walk with a bucket of water every day of this feast, and they would pour the water on the altar, right? And they'd go back to the Pool of Siloam the second day, the third, the fourth, the sixth. But on the seventh day they would walk. They would go to the Pool of Siloam. They would take the pitcher act like they were putting it in the water, but there was no water, and they would bring it back up to the altar, and they would pour it on the altar empty, signifying that another year had come and Messiah was not here. And in John 7, 37, that feast, Jesus stood up in that crowd as that pitcher was being poured out and said, if any man is thirsty, come unto me, and I will give you 
living water. Rivers of living water will flow from within you. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which was yet to come, John 7, 37. After everything we just read, I got one question. What is true about God? And here's what I believe it is. He does not, will not, cannot conform to my empty cistern. He doesn't play that way. Joseph was the complete and perfect prototype of Jesus. You can look and find all the examples, everything from sold for pieces of silver, the robe covered in blood, auctioned off, sent into Egypt, into the world, rejected by his brothers. The parallels are almost endless. And what did the brothers do? They took Joseph, the picture of Jesus, and tried to force him to fit into their empty cistern, and he wouldn't stay there. See, in their cistern, they didn't want to shed any blood, but Jesus' blood would need to be shed. Reuben goes away, like, I'll come back, I'll leave Jesus here and come back and find him. Jesus doesn't stay anywhere, right? Wait for us to get back. He doesn't fit into those ways that we would conform him. He wants us, not because he's an ogre, not because he's cruel and mean, because he knows it's awesome. Rivers of living water. The, the farm that we had for years, every day you had to walk out, there's a stream in the back. The people from New York that bought it were like completely blown away. It comes with its own stream? Yeah, and I'm gonna, it's about 20,000 extra now that you mention it. Yeah, we're going to know. You're from New York, right? What do you care? Here's what I know about streams. This water here will eventually go dry, but that water in that stream where I was in never went dry. And here's the beautiful thing about streams. I drink and sometimes even on a Sunday, you're drinking the word, water of the word. I, I didn't get it all. I didn't get it all. The water you drink from a stream was the water you needed. And the rest is going to go by. And tomorrow when you come back, there will be more water, and that will be the water you need. You don't have to worry about what you miss because the water you got was the water you need. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. That's why Jesus said rivers of living water, not a stagnant pond that turns your toenails purple. I speak with a little bit of experience on that. <laughs> That'll be next week. <laughs> Here's what I know, guys. The Holy Spirit is alive and well. The Holy Spirit, he doesn't want you just to drink from those rivers of living water. He wants us to be rivers of living water flowing within us wherever we go. Rivers of the Word, rivers of the Holy Spirit. The world's got plenty of hate. The world's got plenty of anger. Do you want to look just like the world? Then keep digging. But maybe today, put down your axe. Put down your hammer put down your chisel and take a drink from the water of Jesus. Stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us truth today? Lord, forgive me for making a cistern in politics. Forgive me for making a cistern in, in social programs and government and whatever it is, Lord, that would you show me what those are. Show me to put down my hammer in that area that I might keep drinking from your rivers of living water. The world needs us right now more than ever to be rivers of living water, spirit-filled believers just spraying the Holy Spirit all over, refreshing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys.